A lot of real estate agents have gone sour on the idea of buying leads. They say the lead quality is low. The buyer or seller has no idea who you are, right? They don't know, like, or trust you. Buying leads isn't for everyone. Here's a crazy idea. What about buying another agent's client base or adopting those clients, as Nick Crowder likes to call it? Nick acquired another agent's client base back in 2010, and it made an instant impact on his business. Initially, it was huge because when I started doing this, I, you know, I was, what, four years in the business, and we were doing around 8 to 12 million in sales a year. And adopting those clients, I mean, it was, you know, I, I, when I teach this, I say it's a way to exponentially grow by referral. And that's what happened. Nick quickly learned that all the friction you get when buying leads, they don't know you, like you, trust you, can be eliminated with a handoff of clients from one agent to the other. So how does it work? We're in the middle of a two-part series answering that exact question. Last week, was all about the process. This week, Nick's going to talk about the contract and financials, how he used the golden handoff to exponentially grow his repeat and referral business. This is The Walkthrough. Hi there. How are you? My name is Matt McGee. I'm the managing editor of Homelight's Agent Resource Center. Welcome to The Walkthrough. This is a weekly podcast. New episodes come out every Monday. This is the show where you'll learn what's working right now from the best real estate agents and industry experts in the country. At Homelight, we believe in real estate agents. We're here to explore how great agents grow their business, stand out from the crowd, and become irreplaceable. It has to be one of the most unique ways there is to grow your business. Find an agent who's retiring or winding down their business, come to an agreement to take it over, and tell their clients and the world about the change. It's something Nick Crowder has done a handful of times now. I mean, he literally wrote the book on this. It's called The Golden Handoff. Nick is the team lead for city and state real estate. They're a small team of five based in Portland, Oregon. He got into real estate in 2006, formed the team in 2007, and then bought his first book of business from another agent in 2010. Now, within the last year, Nick's team decided to focus on commercial real estate. They sold their residential business to another Portland company called Works Real Estate. So Nick has now been on both sides of this golden handoff, the buying side and the selling side. The golden handoff is a framework for how to make this a win-win for both the retiring agent and the buying or adopting agent. Last week, in part one of this series, Nick and I talked about how the handoff works. Here's a reminder of what you heard, or a bit of what you missed. So there's a very specific process that we use that works really well, and it's not complicated, but you want to do it in order. Once you've you've got your adopting retiring agent have met up, they want to work together. They've looked at the database, they've looked at their marketing plans, they've signed a contract to work together. Then the next step is that I ask the retiring agent, "Hey, your top top people, your A plus people, I want you to call them and just let them know personally." Last week was all about that process, how to take over someone's business without losing their clients, and not only that, but also what to say. Nick shared a bunch of scripts and dialogues that you can use along the way. One of the key elements of the handoff 
is that the retiring agent has to endorse the buying or adopting agent. That endorsement, that referral, is what encourages the clients to stick with their new agent. Today, in part two, we're going to talk about the contract and the financials. Nick's going to share what all should be written into the contract, the three possible levels of activity for the retiring agent after the handoff happens, and why he recommends a three-year referral agreement instead of a lump sum purchase. Now, if you missed part one, I think you'll be okay to keep listening now to part two. I mean, there might be a reference here or there that may not immediately make sense, but I think it'll be okay. But do go back and listen to part one later if you are listening to this episode first, okay? I think it'll make a lot of sense that way. With all that said, let's dive into part two with Nick Crowder. Today, we're talking all about the contract and financials. And the first step in writing the contract is knowing exactly what you're buying. Are you adopting their entire database or are you just adopting say they're, you know, their most active past clients? That's a great question. You know, honestly, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that before. So what I advocate for is yes, adopt the whole thing. Now, if you have a database of, you know, 20,000 people, that's overwhelming. So you can't treat them all the same, right? You can't love everyone the same way. So I'll go back to the contract and then I'll kind of talk about two scenarios, kind of, I only want the A list and then, or I want everything. And I think that everything is the right decision. And I know a lot of people don't agree with me and not everyone does it that way. And some of them, I think are great, great business people and are very successful um, that only do the A-list thing. So the contract is basically a referral agreement. And in, in the contract, the way it's done, it's a three-year agreement where in the first year, there's a 30% referral fee. In the second year, it's 20, then 10. And then year four, you're, you're keep the adopting agent keeps all of it. It's just 100%. Now, caveat to that is, if the adopting agent is going to stay engaged and involved and help nurture that database, but they're just not doing any of the transactions, then I think have a longer-term agreement. As long as they're engaged and helping you, you want them engaged and helping you keep paying them. Um, but if someone's really retiring and they're going to head off to the sunset, turn off their email and change their phone number, then that time frame works out really well. And I've used that on almost all of them. Uh, with with the deal I'm doing, I'm really involved in it. I'm still helping. We're doing social media stuff together, marketing pieces, and I'm helping coach their agents. So it's it's more of a partnership than just like selling it because I'm not re- really retired. The next thing is that the adopting agent has to keep a license somewhere to get referral fees. So it doesn't have to be the same state. It could be anywhere. Like let's say they work in two states. They can pick the one that's the cheaper, easier one to keep a license. Doesn't matter. But you mean the retiring agent? Sorry, the retiring agent. Yeah. For as long as they're getting referral fees, they need to keep a license somewhere. The other thing is that they agree to let me know when clients contact them and then re-endorse me as needed. So that's in there as well. Now, the adopting agent is agreeing that for the life of this contract, they're going to keep their business running, license, they're going to keep marketing to those people that, and they're going to you know, stay in touch with them and, and honor the agreement uh, for as long as, you know, whatever. If it's a three-year deal, then you, you have to commit for that three years that you're going to engage with these adopted clients as best you can. And the way that I do that is I think you take that marketing plan and you make that part of the contract. So it, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, I promise to stay in touch with your people and market to them. And it's a different thing to say, I will call them twice a year. They'll be invited to one educational event and one fun client event a year. 
we will email them market updates monthly and we will send them our newsletter monthly, quarterly, semi-annually, once a year, whatever it is. So have that agreement of exactly what they're doing in there. I think that's a really good practice to do that. Um, now to get back to your question of, do you want the A-list or everything? So I had it happen once where I took over a, a database of about, I want to say three or 400 people. And as we started calling through it, I realized that half of those people had no idea who that agent was because they were part of a door knocking farm. Now we did deals from that door knocking farm, but I had no interest in continuing to door knock that neighborhood or any neighborhood. I wasn't doing that. I was too busy at this point to be prospecting in that manner. We basically had to sort out who were people that had actually worked with this agent because the other people, the endorsement didn't mean anything. And that agent had never called these people. She always just showed up with like a little neighborhood, you know, market report newsletter every couple of months. And some of those people remembered her, but a lot of people I called had no idea why I was calling because they didn't have a relationship. She was just the lady that would like leave the marketing flyer on their door. Now the other half had a relationship. And so obviously we were more successful with that than the others. So we added the door knocking farm to our newsletter and email if we had a, that information, but we didn't try to call them twice a year. In that same manner, you have your A list and maybe you've got your B and C that maybe is really, maybe it's, you've got 200 A, B clients and you've got 2000 that are just in there and you don't really know what they are. Like, is this someone that was a sign call five years ago? Did they show up at an open house? There's a lot of people in there that you might have no idea what they're doing or when they're going to do it, but I don't think it hurts to stay engaged. You just have to manage how you're staying engaged so that you're not overcommitting because no one's going to want to call 2000 people a year. You talked about putting into the agreement, like how many emails and calls and how often it's going to happen in the agreement. Do you also spell out and what is your opinion? Are you getting their website? their domain name, other marketing assets, or is it just the database? I mean, it can be a lot. If it's someone has a team, you might be taking on their staff. You might be buying a building or leasing the space they have. Um, you might be taking over advertisements, including websites. Um, you might be buying phone numbers. I know some people that have been very successful doing that in areas, especially retirement areas. In second home markets, sometimes having the phone number is a huge, huge asset because You've got your magnet on, you know, a thousand fridges and a subdivision and that you're kind of, if you own that subdivision, there's a lot of value in those things. So in the book, the golden handoff, there's a whole chapter on the contract and there's all those other things other than the database that you need to consider. So lock boxes, signs, uh, are you buying a brand of a team or a brand of a brokerage? Is it just their client list and their name? This is why it's really important to know where the business comes from. A lot of times really good agents will fall in love with their own marketing, but they can't really prove that it works, right? So they're paying for the half page in the neighborhood newspaper, the full back page. Uh, they're doing all of these Google AdWords and they're doing social media stuff. But when you ask them where their business comes from, it's like, oh, we do an annual client party and we get 80% of our referrals from that. It's like, okay, well, let's keep doing that. But, but maybe all this advertising and all this other stuff you're doing that gets you two deals a year is probably not worth continuing. You know, so that's why I think knowing where your business comes from is so valuable. And yes, I mean, depending on how big it is, it could be a lot more, there could be a lot more assets you're buying. And maybe those things are not, you're not buying those on referral. You're just writing a check to buy 
you know, the obvious one is like lock boxes, signs, stuff like that. Um, where it gets trickier is if they've got, you know, if you're growing your business and they've got a great team, you might really need that staff to, to be able to take it on unless you already have the capacity to grow that much. Um, so there's, there's, there's definitely more than just the database. It depends on who the retiring agent is and kind of how they operate and how big their business is. I think one of the most important things, and, and you, you kind of spell this out in the book as well, that should be spelled out in the agreement is exactly what level of involvement the retiring agent will have after the handoff. Yeah. There's, there's like, what, three or four different buckets that that could fall into? Yeah, there's three levels I, I define. And the, the first one is totally done. This is, I'm moving to Florida. I'm throwing my phone in the ocean. Don't ever email me. It, and that's okay. You just need to know if I've got any questions or needs that I need to clarify as the adopting agent, you need to do it up front, right? You, you don't want to like plan to keep calling and bugging them in the future. The second one is um, the consultant where they maybe do some initial calls. They do some, you know, verifying motivation levels, getting some details, and then hand it off to the adopting agent to actually go do the contract, do the photos, write the offer, show the houses, all that. And then a delegator, that's the most involved level where you're still, I'm kind of at that level with our residential database. I'm still very involved, checking in on it, helping out. I'm handing over. There's still like, you know, hundreds of tasks in my calendar that I'm going through. And as I do that, I'm then handing them over to the other team um, as I kind of clean up my future, all the tasks I had planned for my future that I was going to do if I was still the one helping. And I think that's another thing, I guess, I don't talk about in the book because I talk about the database, but like, make sure you look at each other's, the, the retired agent's calendar and task list, because the, the first people you should touch base with are the people they were going to touch base with, right? That, that they already had a reminder scheduled for, you know, hey, make sure before the end of summer to call so-and-so because they're going to buy an investment this year. Right. Uh, yeah, make sure you got that information too. That's in our database. And hopefully most people, those are integrated. But if not, like, Make sure you check in with someone on, hey, who's on your who's on your short list of people you think are going to do something? Because that's who you want to make sure you prioritize. So you described these three levels totally done. The retiring agent is totally done, gone. Then it kind of in the middle is consultant. And then the most involved is this delegator uh, concept. Yeah. Based on your experience buying other agents' businesses, which scenario do you prefer? I mean... I as an adopting agent, I love that delegator consultant level because it means they're still engaging with the community in some way. And it doesn't mean that they're even in town. I mean, they could just be engaging on social media and, and staying in touch with people. And uh, Or if they're still in town, they're you know still socially engaged with people and they're thinking of me and actively referring new people and reminding people they know that you know they should call me or, or even setting appointments kind of for me. Hey, I was at a barbecue in the neighborhood and my neighbors want to sell their house. Can you meet Wednesday at three? You know, that kind of stuff is so valuable because it just gives you another person to help you grow and take care of people. In the agreement, how do you take surprises into account? Say, for example, the retiring agent decides a year later that they don't like being retired. Ooh, yeah. So that's kind of the, there's some wild cards in the chapter. And that happened to me. That happened where someone who had retired was totally done. They, they moved across the country. And nine months later, someone said, oh, I just ran into so-and-so. And I was like, what do you mean? They moved to Florida. No, no, they moved back. They didn't like it. 
and they were back in real estate at a different brokerage. And so it was, <laughs> I, you know, obviously that was not the right way to do it. And I didn't know that. So in that scenario, they basically, they honored their agreement that they weren't going to try to take back all those people. Cause I already spent a year nurturing them and working with them and did a lot of deals with people. Uh, but I know that there was a lot of people in the database that just kind of migrated back to her because they had more relationships. So I think just having an understanding of, it's not in the contract. If I put it in, it would just be, hey, if you decide to come back and get in the business, I'm going to keep all the stuff that I've got scheduled and everything. Obviously, everything in escrow or listed, I'll keep. But everything I've got scheduled, I'll keep. And then we'll pick a time to transition it back to you. Because they're going to go back anyway, if the if that agent really is good and they really did a good job. What I'll say to the retiring agents, though, because I know someone else that's kind of gotten in and out, in and out. They kind of keep one foot on the dock and one foot in the boat. They don't get much business because the clients don't trust it. They they don't want to hear that you're retired or you're doing a different job, but you're also in real estate. They want to know you're 100% in. And the people I know that have tried to do two things at once, the clients just don't work with them. They work with other people. And so you're way better off just letting that be me and let me do my job and keep it cohesive than coming and going and coming and going. It just dilutes everything. And, and we're both going to lose, I think, most of the time in that state. I've seen that happen. And the, the clients are just like, oh, yeah, well, we love so-and-so, but you know, they were gone for two years and now they're back, but I know they're part-time and it just doesn't work. I, I really just don't think it does. Hi, this is Matt McGee. In today's market, there's one thing that nearly every real estate agent can agree on. Well-informed buyers make purchase decisions faster, and that creates more competition around your listings. Homelight's revolutionary listing management software can help make this happen for you. Market your listings and manage all of your incoming offers in one location. You and your sellers are kept in the loop at every step. And everyone will love the simple, consistent, and secure experience. Homelight Listing Management is free. Get started today at homelight.com agents. Okay, so we've talked about the agreement. I, I want to transition into the financial aspect of this, Nick, because that has to be part of the agreement. And you already hinted at this. You talked about first year, 70% split, second year, 80, third year, 90. Is that negotiable? Do those change at all, maybe depending on the level of involvement of the retiring agent? Yeah, so I mean, everything's negotiable. I get that question a lot. Most people I've worked with were totally okay with that plan because it works well. Because again, someone's got to keep a license. So like how off, how long are they going to want to keep doing classes and renew their license and all that? Um, so I'd say for most people, this works great. You don't need to change it. Um, I would say generally, just as a rule of thumb, the more engaged and helpful and supportive the retiring agent is in helping you and bringing more value to that client list and adding people to it, Keep paying them for that. I mean, my dream scenario is that they're helping me do more. I would much rather pay 25% forever and have 10 new clients a year that I wasn't going to get than right. get 100% of a database that is limited. I think the more supportive and engaged they are, the, the more the money could be in the longer term. Now, I don't really advocate for going over 30% on a referral for anything forever for anyone because when you're active in business, you have a lot of expenses. And if that referral fee gets too big, you're, you're not profitable. And then you really, now you don't want to really help those people because gosh, I really don't get much of it in the end of the day. Um, so it's got to be fair for both people. I think 25% is, is fair. That's kind of where it's averages out to 20 in this deal. 
The reason it's front-loaded is at the beginning, my success as an adopting agent is going to be based on how good of a job, good a job the retiring agent did. But by year three, if those people are working with us, it's because we're working with them, right? You know, that we're engaging and we're taking care of them. Most people don't even remember who their agent was. And so it's, you know, it's based <laughs> on who's engaging and who's, who's actually building those relationships. You talk in the book, not just about the direct income, but sort of the, the other types of income that this, that this handoff can create for you. Yeah. So for the adopting agent, it's pretty dramatic, right? Because every time you get a listing, you've got to sign in the yard. You can do circle prospecting, just listed postcards, open houses, social media stuff. Look at my new listing, door knocking. All this great stuff opens up every time you get a listing uh, to get new clients. And all those new people come to you. Those are all yours, 100%, because that's based on the work you're doing as the adopting agent. Same thing with a buyer. You do a good job for a buyer. Guess what they're talking about to their friends and family? Buying a house. That's it. That's all they're talking about. Everything's top of mind for that buyer. So asking them for referrals along the way, those referrals, 100%, those go to you, assuming they're not in the database. You know, you've got those clients in the database. Maybe they don't want to do anything, but they refer you the neighbor. Well, that's based on the work you're doing. So you keep 100% of that. And then you've got future referrals for new people that the retiring agent meets that are being added to the database or being referred to you uh, that are new. You know, they weren't in the database. There's someone new the retiring agent met and they're, they're connecting you now. And so there's all those different ways that as the adopting agent, you can make money. Is there also a lump sum payment involved when you are buying someone's book of business? Not in my model. No, there isn't. Um, I can see it both ways, but I really think it's much more fair that, that it's based on activities in the back end. And I think the reason why people would want it is, well, what if the adopting agent doesn't do a good job and they don't do what they say they're going to do? That's why I want to lump up up front. I'll tell you this. It's way more valuable to the retiring agent to get at the right agent who's actually going to do the work. My expectation on my partnership is that we'll make hundred dollars to $150,000 a year net on referral fees. I would much rather have that than one check for hundred grand, you know? Because that can continue to grow and 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 prosper, and and as the market gets dynamic, you know the the value of the business goes up and down too, right? So, what if I mean we had our best year ever last year? We did ninety million in sales. I don't know if in twenty twenty three we're going to have that much sold. We might. It might be more. But I think for a lot of people, we you know we're seeing the market shifting. Interest rates are going up. It might. It, it might be very reasonable to think that a lot of agents are going to be making less money next year than they made last year. And the flips is true. When I was buying this business, Matt, you said 2010, right? We were in the bottom of a really bad real estate recession. Right. Mm-hmm. We didn't even start going back up until 2012. I had a list of sellers that wanted to work with me, that liked me, that agreed with my CMAs, but they couldn't sell because guess what? They were underwater. And so a lot of the businesses I took over became more valuable over time and potentially they could become less valuable. And that's not based on someone doing a good or bad job. It's just the market dynamics. We don't control that. Our job is to interpret it and help people operate within the reality of the market, but we don't control it. And so that's another reason why I think it's really tough to value an individual agent's business. One last question on the financial aspect. You describe this as a and I love this phrase, get rich slow over time (laughs) scheme. It's not get rich quick. What do you mean by that? It's kind of like I mentioned earlier, there's a, you know, when I was at a bigger firm and there was like, you know, I was in the top one, two or three. And one of the other guys that was always in the top one, two or three ran almost a prospecting marketing business. And mine was all referral. Well, 
the get rich quick scheme is okay. I'm going to spend a, a boatload of money and I'm going to call 100 people a day until I get a 10 new listings and I'm going to make 100 grand this month. The get rich slow scheme that I talk about is building relationships over time. So, in exchange for not having to cold call people that don't know you and market prospect really hard and try to sell yourself all the time, you can build relationships with people that don't need you today uh, in the anticipation that, hey, when they need to do something or they have a friend or family member that does, that they'll refer you. And so it's just a different approach to running a business. And you've got to make sure if you do this or if you're selling your business that you both have the expectation. It's not like if you have a database of 300 people, they're all going to move this year, right? And so if you have a database of 300 people and uh, 20 of those people move this or say 30 of them move and your adopting agent is able to help 20 of them, I would say that's a huge success. But it's, it's, it really it comes down to setting expectations that this isn't a list of clients need to sell this week, right? This is a list of people that are probably going to do something in the next 10 years. And if you just stay in touch with them and provide value, um, you're going to have a really great experience as a broker, getting to help people, getting to do your job and not have to cold call or not have to sell yourself all the time. You can just put on your realtor hat and do your realtor thing and, and focus on that as opposed to prospecting which is a very different thing. I think most people get out of real estate because they realize that they you need to at some level prospect and market and engage with people. It's a lot more fun to do it with people that you like and that know you and trust you and want to talk to you. How much of your business in a typical year when you were still in residential was coming from clients that you adopted or acquired from a retiring agent? Oh man, well, so I'll say this like initially it was huge because when I started doing this, I, you know, I was what, 4 years in the business and we were doing around 8 to 12 million in sales a year and adopting those clients, I mean, it was you know, I, I when I teach this, I say it's a way to exponentially grow by referral and that's what happened. Cuz back then I didn't have 22,000 people in a database. I mean, I had 150. Right? And so for me to call my client list wasn't that big of a deal. You know, I would just <laughs> start at the top and work my way to the bottom. And, you know, two weeks in, you know, I talked to everyone. But then all of a sudden, so that first database, that was 300 people. So I would bet that by the time we adopted Renee's database, which was 2010, I bet it doubled our business. That's fantastic. And I think we went from probably doing eight to 12 to over 20 million in sales because you know, we were consistently working with those people. And here's the other thing. It's really cool to see this now. There's a woman named Darby Britton at Works. Who's, she's kind of the lead agent uh, for all of our clients that they're caring for. And I asked her, because this has been my experience when I've been the agent that now is in charge, is that when I reach out to those adopted clients and I'm setting appointments with them, I am almost never competing with another agent. I mean, let that sink in. You're You're not like showing up at a listing appointment and there's like, you know, two BMWs and two Mercedes parked out front and they're all like doing their pitch. And, right. you know, it, almost all of the time they, it's like, Hey, if so-and-so said you're great and you can show up on time and I believe that you're going to do a good job, we're good. We'll just work with you. That's gotta be a great feeling. If you adopt a retiring agent's clients and that handoff is like so strong that the clients totally trust you as their new agent, like right from day one. Great, great stuff, Nick. Thank you so much. Hey, reminder here, you have heard a lot of scripts and dialogues, emails and such over these two episodes. Uh, we also talked a lot about the contracts and those things. 
Uh, a lot of that comes from Nick's book, of course, The Golden Handoff, but there's even more, he tells me, on the Golden Handoff website, and you can access all of that when you register there. Go to goldenhandoff.com. Just combine the two words, no hyphens or anything. Goldenhandoff.com. I'll link to the site in today's show notes. Let's do our takeaway segment for episode 92. This was part two with Nick Crowder on how to buy or sell a retiring agent's business. And again, just like last week, I'm gonna mainly come at this from the angle that you are the buying or adopting agent, all right? All right, takeaway number one, Nick's framework calls for a three-year agreement between you and the retiring agent. It's basically a referral agreement with a 70-30 split in year one, you get 70%, the retiring agent gets 30%, then 80-20 in year two, and 90-10 in the third year. Takeaway number two, Nick recommends you stick with that referral arrangement in lieu of a lump sum purchase for a couple reasons. Number one, in a dynamic real estate market, it can be very difficult to put a value on another agent's business. And number two, on the retiring agent's side, three years of referrals could be more valuable than a single payment. Takeaway number three, the contract should be very specific about the retiring agent's activity after the handoff happens. Nick says there are three common levels. The first is he called totally done, where the retiring agent basically disappears, right? They throw their phone away, they're gone, you're never gonna hear from them again. Then there's a consultant level where the retiring agent continues to do things like take initial calls with important clients before they pass over to the adopting agent. And then the third level is delegator, where the retiring agent remains more involved in servicing clients. Nick told me his preference is either consultant or delegator because that extra person can really help keep a transaction moving along. Takeaway number four, the contract should also be specific about exactly what you're buying or adopting. Nick recommends you adopt the entire database of the retiring agent. He says some folks prefer to only adopt the A-list clients. Either way, spell that out in the contract. He also says spell out exactly what your marketing will look like. As the adopting agent, you have to commit to servicing the retiring agent's clients. And then the contract might also include things like Websites, phone numbers, lockboxes. Nick says those things are best handled with a flat price payment. And those are my takeaways this week. If you have any questions or feedback about what you've heard in this episode or even last week in part one, please do get in touch. You can text me or leave a voicemail. The number to use is 415-322-3328. Again, that's 415-322-3328. 3328. You can send an email to walkthrough at homelight.com or just find me in our Facebook mastermind group. Go to Facebook, do a search for Homelight Walkthrough, and the group should be the first thing that you see. All right, that's all for this week. Thanks again to Nick Crowder for joining me, and thank you for listening. My name is Matt McGee, and you've been listening to The Walkthrough. At Homelight, we believe in real estate agents. We're here to explore how great agents grow their business stand out from the crowd, and become irreplaceable. Go out and sell some homes. I'll talk to you again next week. Bye-bye.